Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to So You Want to Be in Ministry. I'm Tim, and we are all about getting you to the finish line that God put in front of you. We do that through educating you, equipping you, and encouraging you. And I think you're going to get a lot of those three things today with our interview with Pat Nemmers. Uh, Pat was my pastor about two decades ago. Yeah, he pastored me all throughout my college years. I went to his church, Sailorville, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I, my college was just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, I met my wife while I was in college. So uh, as we were dating and engaged and stuff, we were going to uh, that, that church under Pastor Pat. And uh, we got married uh, while we were attending that church. So a lot of formable years under his leadership as our pastor. I can tell you stories and stories. Many of the people uh, that I know in ministry are because we all came out of that college together. We, we served in Sailorville or local churches in the area. Uh, so it really was nostalgic to talk to him and kind of hear some of the stories and things because I do remember some of those things. I've been following his life and just the church is because I, I love that church so much. Uh, and so it, it was. it's good to see where God has brought them, even as I've been gone for a couple of decades. So very excited about this interview and to get into it. But I do want to tell you this. He uh, released a book this last year. Uh, it has been highly touted, highly publicized, Retractions, uh, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation. Uh, if you have not faced humiliation in your life, that's probably the grace of God. Uh, but we all have had humiliating moments. And then how do you walk in humility after that moment? Because we hate that that moment happened. And yet now you have to walk in humility, not pride. You have to walk in humility after that. And really what, what I've told people about this book, uh, two things. Number one, it has to be on your must read list this year. Like it should be at the top of your list. 2023, read it. I'm not joking. I read lots and lots of books. I read 50 to 60 books a year. That's not bragging. That's just to let you know. I read a lot of books. This should be at the top of your list. It was amazing. It was great. Uh, please read it. Uh, and the second thing that I often tell people about this book is that Pastor Pat literally told you everything that he got wrong. And in a world where pastors have uh, tried to avoid those moments, it was very refreshing. I'm so glad he pastored me because you got to see his heart. It's very refreshing to have a pastor that just goes, yeah, I mess up, and this is what it looks like, and this is how God used it and how he's using it after the fact. It's an amazing interview. Can't wait to get into it, so let's jump in. Well, hey, Pat, very glad to have you on the podcast today. Uh, so those of you that don't know, Pat was my pastor starting about 24 years ago uh, when I was a freshman in college. He was very formable in my college years, uh, met my wife, we got married, we spent uh, our first year, maybe a little bit over a year, as a married couple at Sailorville, and then we moved into ministry and moved on, and we've had conversations since then, and uh, I'm very thankful of what the impact you had on my wife and I, and uh, very thankful that you wrote this book that we're going to talk about, because uh, both have been very impactful in my family's life. Well, thanks, Tim. You know, I didn't write that book when I knew you back in the day, but uh, a lot has happened between then and now, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the things did happen back in my day, though. It was it was very oh, yeah, familiar. Yeah, that's true. that's true. The early part did, and yeah. even before then. Yeah. So let me let me show this off. I know you got yours too, but this is the book Retractions. Uh, 
the title, Cultivating Humility After Humiliation, um, just that title alone makes it intriguing. How did you even kind of get to a point where you were like, I'm going to write about my humiliations and the things I needed to retract in my life? Well, there are a couple of things, actually. One, and I write about these things in the book. There, there was the scripture, David's confession in Psalm 51 was hugely influential to me. Uh, and just and and the other one was just experience. I mean, in my very first church, I had a guy and I don't I don't write about this in the book. But to, to answer your question, I had a guy. Uh, he was a godly man. He was an older man. Uh, I felt like he was 100 years old when I met him. I think he was probably in his 70s. But. That's getting younger and younger, by the way, all the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, but he was super godly. He knew scripture. He he prayed scripture. He was so godly. Um, but he never, ever once, never one time did he out himself in anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was always the hero of every story. Mm -hmm. His marriage was the greatest marriage ever. Another elderly woman would tell me on the side that she'd seen things years ago that says... It, just through that whole thing, I realized this guy's not telling us everything about himself. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, he's just not willing to divulge uh, his failures. And I don't know why. I, I wondered why. You know, I, as you know, as uh, preachers don't do well when they make themselves the heroes of every story anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, really the other thing was just the, the, uh, the biggest moment for me was a moment that took place when I was speaking. I was a special speaker out in... Uh, Cannon Beach, Oregon, to a bunch of pastors and missionaries and their wives. And our son was at the end of his tether. We were at the end of our tether with our son. Uh, he was in lots of trouble and he would get into worse trouble after this. Mm -hmm. And our ministry was literally hanging on by a thread while we were growing, while we were planting churches. I, we were, our ministry was hanging on by a thread. And it was during that time that my wife and I discussed the, the value of just being open before our peers and being humble before them, admitting our failures and maybe getting some input from them. And, and that was really the impetus for all of this. And I started writing about that time and I'd write, I'd write a little bit, I'd put it down, write a little bit more. And then over the next couple of years, I thought, I need to really address this issue because it's, we've all read books on humility and they're great ones that are out there on humility. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the idea of cultivating humility after the fact, you know, in other <laughs> words, not just, Hey, it's done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Psalm 51 is David immortalizing God, rather immortalizing David's confession. That was very powerful to me. I think our testimonies of our failures, our blunders, our sins should be immortalized, uh, not to, um, uh, not to glory in our in our sins by any means, yep. but it, I think it actually helps keep to keep us humble in the process. That's the argument of the book, anyway. Okay, yeah. So let's go hit kind of the rewind button a little bit, and why don't you let people know? Uh, you do talk about it a little bit in the book, but how did you how did you even get into full time vocational ministry? Like, what was what was the highlights or bullet points that happened? that even uh, got you to a point where you were pursuing full-time ministry? Yeah. Well, it's pretty classic. It's not, it might be boring to a lot of your audience, so I'll make it quick. I mean, I was, I was raised in a strong uh, Roman Catholic home, loving home, uh, no regrets of my upbringing, but really devoid of a lot of religion, no righteousness. You know, and my life looked like it. I was a heavy uh, 
uh, marijuana user and as a 70s guy. So I was kind of in that drug culture, worked at John Deere. I worked in a factory, had a guy share the gospel with me while I was in the factory. It made sense. I was under massive conviction and I came to trust Christ as my savior and I was all in. I mean, I was just, when I trusted Christ, I was all in. I'd kind of the cost. Uh, you know, I joked with somebody, I, I do a membership class. We talk about giving. I talked about how on fire I was. I was in, I was 100% on, on everything. I remember a deacon was teaching us in a membership class on giving. And I remember I thought, giving, let's go. I'm all in about giving. He goes, yep. I said, what about giving? He goes, we ought to be tithing. I said, tithing, yeah, let's go tithing. What is tithing? He says, well, that's like giving 10%. 10%, I said, 10, let's go 20, 50, 90%. I'm all in. I said, what, 10% of what? He says, well, of your income. I mean, that means give at least 10% of your income. And I went, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I mean, if I get if I put five bucks in the Catholic Church's offering plate, I thought I was doing God a favor, you know. But the whole thing was I was just like a bull in a china cabinet, ready to go. And I was and and so I was ready to give, help, serve. And but the thing that I most loved to do, which was evangelize and discipleship. And I was preaching, I mean, my brother who had witnessed to me was a pastor. I was preaching in his pulpit within months after being saved. And as God providentially would have it, I was laid off from John Deere almost to the day, one month to mm. the day after I was saved. So a lot of things were coming together. A friend of mine called me and said, hey, how would you like to commute down to Ankeny, Iowa? I lived in Waterloo. It was about a two-hour trip. And uh, to go take some classes. And I said, yeah, I'm all in. Let's do it. And it was really through that I realized, man, this I can't think of doing it. Why would I do anything else? And I mean, I was 24 years old, Tim. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't imagine ever doing something in my life that I would love to do. And, uh, but uh, I've loved doing it ever since. I knew God's hand was on me for ministry at that moment. I never, ever looked back. I literally put my hand to the plow and I, I don't believe I ever looked back. So that's my call. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, I, I've appreciated uh, the fact that God did all of that in your life because uh, I've gotten benefit. I know a lot of people, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people have gotten benefit from that. Um, in the book, you do talk about, uh, well, actually, I want to get into just the very first. In, in, <laughs> I don't do this often, but in your um, acknowledgments, you acknowledge Abe Miller. And it was one of, it probably was my favorite moment in the book, <laughs> weirdly, because he, he's your administrative pastor. And it says to Abe Miller, whose boldness has saved me from making this a four volume series. So obviously you have high regard for him as a second chair leader in your life. Could you speak to what makes him such a great second chair for you? Yeah, happy. And you, you remember Abe, he would have oh, been yeah. around. He wasn't on staff at that time, but he was the youth. He was he was a youth leader, wasn't he? He he was the youth pastor when I left, but he also coached me in soccer at Faith. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So Abe uh, has served with me for over twenty years, so we've been together a long time, and he's been the administrative pastor or our executive. I mean, kind of it was one one or the other. You call them both for the past fourteen years, I think. Okay. So. Um, uh, Abe is a, Abe, there are a couple of things Abe does. that's really, really good. He, he's really, really good at asking questions. So he's a great listener. He loves to ask questions and, uh, in asking questions, you know, if you're, if you're starting to go down a path, that's not good. He'll start asking questions, you know, the why questions. And, uh, uh, he has, uh, 
he saved me from a lot of blunders. I, I'll give you one, inst- one instance. I had to write a public a reply to a public institution years ago uh, that had tried to out me personally and our church, which I won't get into the, the context of why, why they did it. And they did so. And their, the public statement had a couple of bold face. One, one was a bold face lie and two complete inaccuracies. I won't call them lies, but they were definitely inaccuracies. And, and, and sadly, it was, they should have known better. They, 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 they should never have wrote what they did. And they put it out in public wire. So I had to respond. So, man, I had a, I had a vitriolic response, you know, and I'm, I'm writing stuff, you know, and, and you know, Abe's looking over my shoulder going, and why do you have that line there? <laughs> you know, uh, and I mean, you got the Holy Spirit, then you got your other human filters. Yeah. And he's, he, uh, he's been a great human filter. Uh, for me. And that's what I meant by keeping this from being a four volume series. Now, a lot of people remind me and say four, four, uh, not being a four volume series doesn't mean it can't be a two volume series. Believe me, there's enough, uh, there's enough substance. I can go beyond this. Yeah. But Abe's, Abe, truth to tell, he's been a, he's been a great brother, great pastor and uh friend. And he's, he's really, he's really helped me stay in my lane. Awesome. Uh, you talk early in the book about your first, the first church that you were a pastor at. Uh, it was in a smaller town, a uh, smaller community. What were some of the things that you may have learned um, jumping into ministry? So one of our focuses is educating people thinking about jumping in. What were some of the things that you learned there uh, that would be helpful to other people uh, that, before they jump in? Before they jump in or even, you know, they're on the verge or they're, they just did or something like that. Yeah. Well, I would say first thing, Tim, is what you just covered, you know, being sure that you, you've got the call of God in your life. I think it's Proverbs 30 verse 22 or 21 right in there where it's a really obscure passage, but I often refer to it. I think this is really good for your guys that are aspiring toward ministry. It says there are certain things the world can't hold up under. And one of them is a servant when he reigns. Mm-hmm. To me, there's nothing wrong with being a servant, but a servant in a reigning or leading position, that's a man out of place. Mm-hmm. And I've met a number of pastors over the years, good, godly guys, but they're they're not meant to lead churches. So you need to, I, I would say to the that young individual that's aspiring toward ministry, do you do you sense the call of God? And are you being affirmed? Who, who's telling you? Yeah, I'm besides your wife. Who's <laughs> telling you, you know, uh, you ought to be in the ministry. You ought to be preaching the Bible. You ought to be, you know, um, this and that. Regard, you know, looks for a biblical eldership. Uh, I, I mean, that's a big, big deal. What scripture has God used to direct your life? I often tell people, we can't say your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path unless it actually is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never, when I came to, when I went to Holmes Baptist Church and then later the Sailorville Baptist Church, God interacted with me with his word, directly with his word. And they were obscure passages, but they were God's way of leading me. So I, the scripture needs to be there. Uh, your sense of that aspiration, you're like, what is it? Uh, you know, First Timothy 3, 1, if a man desires an off, the office of, of a bishop, bishop he desires a good work there are two different words for desire there one carries the internal you know bubbling and the other is that external aspiration that's got to be there 
And then you got to be looking for people to affirm you. If nobody's affirming you, that's probably, uh, uh, that's probably, that should at the very least give you pause to, to know whether this is a call of God. Yeah. It's a good assessment. So in, in that church, I know you talked about it a couple times throughout the book of, um, different men that spoke into your life. Uh, they were very, they were more forward with you and just direct. Uh, could you speak to some of that and how you, how you handled it, how you, uh, how you appreciated what they did over time? Yeah. Well, I handled it perfectly. I'm <laughs> kidding. That's not true. I, I couldn't, I couldn't have handled it more imperfectly. I'll, I, the one, the one that comes to mind is I do write about in the book, uh, in the book or in the chapter on legalism. Um, I'm sure you laughed out loud when you came to this story. There was a guy, his name was Bill. He was an older gentleman. He was a Bible guy. I loved Bill because I, I, he just loved his Bible. And he was just like a, dog on a bone with the Bible. And he's a good, he was a good teacher. He's a very winsome man. And, and he was one of my greatest encouragers. I mean, he wouldn't just say, add a boy, good message pastor. He would, he would affirm me about what I was preaching on, you know, the substantive compliments that any, anybody teacher or preacher of the word would appreciate. And you know, as a young pastor, you know, I, I, I had convictions on everything, you know, that are, that were both biblical and extra biblical, a lot of extra biblical positions you know i'm ashamed to acknowledge you know on things like music and dress and some of those things that are kind of ancient now to most people but they weren't ancient back in the 80s and uh so um i preached i preached my guts out on some bad and i was a bible expositor i mean i was a real bible expositor Mm -hmm. in the 80s as i am now but but i just tend to go beyond you know john MacArthur said uh uh, a, a human standard can be can be more restrictive than scripture and more uh, lenient than scripture, but it can never be better than scripture. <laughs> and uh, that's a great quote, yep. I think. By yep. the way, I think oh, listeners, yeah. I hope they take that to heart. And uh, but I was going beyond it, and uh, on this particular occasion, I went beyond it. And as people went by, and you know, my legalistic band that were following me, you know, pat me on the back, giving me the attaboys. Bill did. Bill had a very stern look about him. He shook my hand. He said, uh, and I looked at him. I said, hey, Bill, uh, what'd you th- I, I might have even solicited him. I don't know. Like, what'd you think of the message or something, you know, because he always had something nice to say. He said, stick to the Bible sins, Pastor. There's plenty of them you can preach. <laughs> I'm telling you, you talk about a mic drop moment. Yeah. What a line. Stick to the Bible's sins, Pastor. There's plenty of them you can preach. Yeah. And you know, he was, he was trying to, he was trying to get me back into the biblical lane where I needed to be. And, and I resisted him and probably tried to make some excuse and wish I would have, but he, he, he just basically repeated himself and walked away very dejected, very disappointed. He was, his heart was broken, I think Mm -hmm. over it. And it would take me a while, years even to, to get that. Uh, but I think I get it now by the grace of God. And, uh, I'm very thankful for that man and a few others that were just like him. Yeah. You had another one at Sailorville. Um, I'm, for, I'm forgetting his name now, but I, Dave it, Leonard. Yeah. Dave Leonard. Cause his, yeah. I'm, I went to school with some of his grandkids. So yeah. 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 So well, in fact, his great grandson is on staff at Sailorville. I saw that too. Yes. All right. So <laughs> there's lots of connections there because, because he had an impact on you within the book as well. Could, could you yeah. tell a little bit of that story maybe? I'd love to. I'll get to the, I, 
so I, I titled the chapter "The Man Who Gave Me Clarity." Okay. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm like the blind squirrel that finds an acorn every once in a while. And one of those acorns is, and I share this, and our, a lot of our our staff have this little line memorized. I'm giving it to you for free, Tim. Yeah, thanks, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> it's, I don't think it's in the book. Maybe it is. I don't know. But uh, I, I always say the only thing worse than no vision is a blurry vision. Oof. That's good. And so Dave Leonard took my blurry vision and he, and he just, he gave me some focus. Dave Leonard was a, I joke with people when I met him, he was like 116 and he just kept getting older, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but uh, he was a gruff guy. You didn't go to Dave to, to just have a nice time of fellowship. You get, you went to Dave to get a kick of the pants, you know, and he didn't have a lot of takers. Uh, but uh, I had three moments of clarity. The first one was during a prayer meeting. He was, we had a testimony time and, he stood up. He was always sat in the front, always sat in the front on the left side, him and his wife. He stood up. He had his Bible in his hand and he read from Isaiah six. You know, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And we're all listening to him from behind. All we're seeing is bent over back. And he just sort of he then he kind of turns around and faces all of us. And he goes, how do you see him? <laughs> I'll never forget that. I've never read that passage again without thinking of that moment. Seeing God high and holy. And then uh, uh, another time was um, outside of a grocery store. This was really, really helpful to me. I'm walking to the grocery store. He's coming out. And he says, Nemers, I want to talk to you. So when Dave said that, you just sat there very obediently and you listened to him. This guy wouldn't look at you. I mean, Tim, he wouldn't look at you. He would look away from you until it was the right time to look at you. Mm. And uh, he goes, Nemers, want to tell you a story. He says, you know, he says, um, I was in a mission one day. Now, mind you, he's not looking at me, but I'm looking at him. He goes, I was in a mission one day, preaching the gospel. And then he went, he goes, you don't dare preach anything else in a mission. <laughs> and he went back, he went back to his story. I had no idea what his story, I can't remember what his story was, but I'll never forget that parenthetical line. Because he was telling me, if you're in a mission, you don't tell people how to be good husbands and good fathers and good you know, good parents, yeah. good employees, good citizens. You tell them how to get saved. Yeah. And that moment gave me clarity. It, in that moment, I don't know how, how to explain it, but it was like, Lord, whenever I preach, no matter what I'm preaching on, let me bring him back to the cross, bring him back to the gospel. That was huge. And then the third one I shared was, was uh, after the first time I preached at Sailorville Baptist Church. And I was just, a, you know, I was just 20, you know, 25 years old, you know, and uh, I preached my guts out that day. The pastor we had was a great guy, but he's very monotone. He was not a he was not a strong exhorter, you know, solid Bible expositor. But so putting me up there was way different for God's people. Like, you know, I'm you know, I'm exploding what I didn't have in substance. I made up in zeal, you know. And I uh, I preached my guts out, and I think somebody might have even gotten saved. It was just a great day. I walked out on cloud nine, a lot of people encouraging me, and and I was still a student at that time. I got home, walked in our little apartment, and Dave Leonard called me. I mean, literally, as we walked in the apartment, my wife, Nina, and I, the phone rings. I pick it up. This, I'm not kidding you. This is exactly how it goes. Numbers, Dave Leonard here. Good message today. Well, you know, Dave didn't compliment. He didn't give out compliments like candy. So that yeah. was a big deal that he thought it was a good message. So I, ah, thank you, Dave. He goes, I'm calling you for one reason. I said, okay, what's that? He goes, Numbers, remember. 
you're a you're a preacher, not a teacher. Well, Tim, I was a I was a theological student. I mean, that was like an insult to me. <laughs> I said, pardon me. You're yeah, remember, you're you're a preacher, not a teacher. I said, uh, you know, I I want to preach the word of God and I want to teach the word. I want people to be instructed, you know. And he goes, all right, stop. He cut me off right in the middle of it. He goes, we got we got men all across the pulpits, across his land. They're counseling people. They're not preaching. They're not thundering forth the word of God. That's what you did today, numbers. You need to do that more often. And remember, you're a preacher, not a teacher. And he hung up. He didn't even say goodbye. He just hung up. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was ticked. Yeah. I, I didn't even know how to, I mean, I was, I was upset. But what I, I realized was Dave Leonard wasn't trying to insult me. Mm-hmm. He was trying to guide me. Yeah. And, and I, I, um, there's another line I came up with, you know, as a result of that, which was, um, you, we need to real, realize that, uh, some of the greatest, uh, helpers in our life in our sanctification, this isn't the line, but the idea anyway, are, 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 the, are those people who are, some of the greatest instructions, helps in our lives will come dressed up as insults. <laughs> and uh, that brought clarity to my life. I, I had to realize over time, Tim, that you know God didn't create me to be a great theologian, although I love theology. He didn't, you know, create me to be a professor of, you know, some, you know, some area of, you know, biblical ministry, philosophy, ethics, theology. He, he, he wired me to be a preacher of the word and a leader and an evangelist. And that's what I am. And I, you know, I remember it was uh, hearing Chuck Swindoll shortly thereafter preaching. I was at a, and Chuck Swindoll was a big, big deal back in the eighties. He's, he is one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. He's a great writer and a great, and a great preacher. And he's one of those rare guys who can do both. And he was being interviewed by Warren Wiersbe, and Wiersbe asked him to give it, uh, advice to young pastors, which I was at that time. And he said, my advice is to you is, he said, uh, be who God created you to be. Don't try to be somebody else. And uh, he quoted, he goes, you got to be like the old country bumpkin who said, you got to be who he is, because if you ain't who he is, you'll be who you ain't. So by all means, be who he is. And uh it was just good for me. And uh, so that, so Dave Leonard helped to bring clarity to my life. So in that with, uh, I mean, cause they, they were, uh, tough, like they were very, um, focused on what they were trying to do with you. How do you tell the difference between somebody who's trying to instruct you and somebody who may be trying to like destroy you or discourage yeah. you? Like, how do you, how do you tell the difference in that? I think the answer is time. You know, somebody comes up and and uh, out of the blue and just waylays you. I mean, you you know, you, you're you're going to recoil right away, even if there's truth being told there. You know, but I think time and the person themselves. It doesn't take it. it you know, it doesn't take a, a somebody brilliant to to figure out that somebody's in this for their good. And uh, that's the reason why longevity in pastorates is a good thing, because it's over time that people start to trust you and know that you're well-intentioned, even if what you're saying to them is hard. And if you turn turn it around, you have the same experience with those who are well-intentioned. I have a a friend in my life just not long ago, he texted me something and 
you know, I got to say, the inner lawyer came to work, went to work for me right away. You know, it's it a little, it was a little jab, but I know this guy loves me and I know he meant well. And so I had to just stop and take it to heart. So I would say time, relationship, uh, and then just the truth. I mean, let's be honest, somebody could come out of the blue and tell you something that's true and it hurts. I mean, Dave Leonard, was, we weren't buddies, okay? <laughs> uh, we were not, for, we were not close, okay? But, but what he said was true. And I think that has to be the first barometer is the, is, the, is the better lawyer in you, you know, the advocate, the spirit of God within you. Uh, does, he, does it resonate as true? And, uh, or does it resonate as absolutely false? And, uh, you, know, th- you know, there's a proverb that says, uh, like a flying sparrow or a fleeting swallow, a curse without cause will not light. You, ever, you know, you ever heard that? It's kind of, it's kind Pro- of obscure passage. Yeah, yeah. But I actually, listen, this is a true story. Um, it's saying that a curse or, a, you know, a, a false accusation or whatever is not going to light. It's not going to sit on you if it's not true. I was in a, I was at a, I was at a camp one day and we opened the door and one of these, one of these swallows got in and just started darting around. And I mean, you, you see a bunch of grown men acting like little babies. We're dot, we're diving and you know, Oh my goodness. And I mean, it was just all over the place, but it never lit. It never sat. It finally went out the door. And I remember it walked out, it flew out. And I thought, that's what the proper writer Proverbs is talking about. I if it doesn't light, I don't have to worry about it. And I think that's gotta be the basis. That's where if we're walking with God, and there's a sense in which our conscience is clear and uh, we sense the conviction in the moment, whether the guy came out of the blue or you have a relationship with him, you better accept it as true. And I think that's why if it's not true, you just, you just, you don't reject it disrespectfully, but you don't have to accept it either. So another, another area that you talk about that uh, would go along with this is uh, pulpit sins is one of your chapters where, uh, too often we can be guilty of embellishing or, or just making up something uh, to make it fit whatever we're trying to preach. Um, could you talk a little bit about that chapter and just how <laughs> the, the retraction you had to make uh, or and uh, how do you go about doing that, like if you've gone there? Yeah, well, Chris, that's very humbling when you say something that's false or if you say something that's uh, hurtful. Uh, and then it comes back to get you, you know, uh, in one way or another, then it's important that you, you own it. And, uh, in that chapter, I describe a couple of moments. Well, the, the big one was, uh, <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I'm preaching through Genesis and I come, you know, I come to Jacob and we, most of your listeners know the story of Jacob, if not all of them. And, uh, you know, here's, he's the, he's the twin and, uh, his name means heel grabber. Cause that's what he was doing, you know, when, his brother came out before him. And of course he lived down to that name. You know, he became one, he became synonymous with the deceiver and uh, he was a deceiver. And I, and so I, I am cutting this text and I'm preaching on Jacob and I'm just into a lather. And I literally blurted out, why would anybody name their kid Jacob? We must have had four or five Jacobs in the church at that time. Yep. And uh, in one family I'd led to Christ. Mm. And they were hurt, really hurt. So um, that was a pulpit sin for sure. And uh, so I actually, I I sent a church email out that very week. And then I made calls to the ones I knew by the name of Jacob. And 
I just ate it. I just said, you know what? I don't have a good excuse here. I don't have a, anything. I mean, I, yeah, I was whipped into a frenzy and getting into the meaning of the name, but that didn't make any sense. And, you know, one person said, yeah, well, God redeemed Jacob and named him Israel. Remember that? And I said, yeah, that's, that's right. He did. You know, it wasn't like I was going to, I, you don't want to put yourself in a, you don't want to start defending something you're asking for forgiveness for, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. And then there's, there's times where, you know, the embellishment thing and that, you know, that I, I don't know if, I don't know if you're impacted by the story I told about the, the, uh, the football player when I was in sixth grade. Do you remember that story? Yes. Yes. Um, I think I actually, when you were talking about this, I was like, I think I remember this even happening while I was there or, or you telling the story while I was there or something like that. So yes, it was very familiar to me. It, well, it might, it might have. I know I've only told it a couple of times here. and yeah. uh, But, of course, I told it in my first church because what had happened was uh, it was one of the first illustrations I ever gave at the Lord's table. And it's just a crazy story. I mean, it's I mean, I mean, just the, the odds of me being able to uh, corroborate the story, you know, after all those years. I was in yeah. sixth grade. How old are you? Like 12? Yeah. And uh, and uh, I was like 12 years old and I was in playing football and I'm in line. We're in a running drill, tackling drill. And I have a guy right behind me. He's a friend, but he's, and I was a small guy and he was smaller than me. And I could, you're, you're looking at the guys who you're going to have to, they're going to, they're going to tackle you. You know, they, it was a, you had to run to the dummy and try to get there before the guy who was going to tackle you got to you. Most of it didn't end well. And uh, so uh, I saw that I was going to have Pat Dunley tackle me. And I'm, yeah, I'm literally shaking my boots. He's the meanest guy in the and uh, so I, um, you know, I'm just shuddering. And all of a sudden I get this cap on my shoulder pad and it's Dave. I won't give his last name. Dave says, um, hey, I'll, I'll go. It's like, I'm like, I like the, like the football gods were shining down on me. You know, he goes on ahead of me. And I mean, that guy hits him so hard, separates his shoulder. He's lying on the ground, writhing in pain. And the coach tells us to start running and we start running laps and, and, uh, uh, I mean, it was, it was really bad. And, uh, so, uh, but all I, I remember, I shared this at communion time, uh, that, you know, every time I ran by him and while we were in laps, I thought he just took my place. Yeah. He just took my place, which of course is what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. So I used it as an illustration. Well, fast forward just a few years ago, four or five years ago, uh, that guy moved to our area. He moved into the Des Moines area. And he, we, I connected with him. We talked and I invited him to church for Easter, Easter, this time of year. Yeah. And I'm, I'm putting this, I'm putting this illustration in, you know, he's going to love it, you know? And, uh, uh, so he didn't show up, uh, which disappointed me, but, oh, well, I stayed in contact with him and he got back and he said, well, I'm glad I didn't come because you lied. You owe your congregation an, uh, an apology. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you lied. You, I didn't volunteer. You pushed me into that situation. I mean, Tim, imagine that. What would you do in that moment? Uh, it's it's a tough one. I I have repeated that story for for forty plus years. Yeah, forty five, whatever it is. And you know how it is. You know, if you tell the same story, it becomes your version of the truth. I guess, huh? Yeah. Then I got thinking, man, have I messed the story up this bad? Yeah. So my best friend who became my best man in my first wedding was also a halfback. He was right there in the line. 
And I'm, st- I have, I'm still close to him. I called him up. I said, hey, yada, yada, this is what happened. He goes, Pat, I can tell you I was there. It's exactly as you told it. Mm-hmm. So, and this, I I come out looking pretty good here. But, but our friend whose shoulder was broken that day, he never did forgive me. He, yeah. In fact, when I went back to him to lovingly try to explain to him that I corroborated the story and he, he doubled down and I had, I, you know, I did, I just said, you know, I said, uh, irrespective, regardless of whether your version is right or mine, bottom line is I knew what I was doing when I, when I stepped out of the way for you to get tackled. And for that reason, I'm sorry. And I, I ate crow and asked him to forgive me. And, uh, so that's probably more than you needed to hear, but pulpit sins are just, those are those blunders you make. And I think if you make them, you need to be willing to own them. And I, can I get a little leverage to give one more little story here? Yeah, go for it, man. Um, and I write about this. Um, there's a family that came to our church because of this. Mm. Uh, there was a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night a few years ago. And it was a, I was teaching on how to study your Bible. And, and I asked people, uh, you know, by a show of hands, how many would, make a commitment or a recommitment to reading their Bible every day before they left their home. Lots of people raising their hands. And there was a guy right there in the front row, a guy that I went to school. I went to Bible college with this guy. And just a great guy, lay person in our church. And he just sat there. He didn't raise his hand. And I just gave him a bad time. I, I said, come on, Bob, you know, Hey, you're going to raise your hand. And he just kind of looked at me like this. <laughs> and I thought, and suddenly I was like, Oh my goodness, he's not going to raise his hand. <laughs> And uh, so I just sort of muttered something and went on with it. So I called him the next day. I said, Bob, I, I am so sorry. I, you know, would you forgive me? He's a pastor. He goes, I just making a commitment like that is a big deal. According to Ecclesiastes five. And I just wasn't, I just want to do it. I said, you know what? I need to ask your forgiveness and I need to ask God's people to forgive me because I made, you know, I, I probably really embarrassed you. He goes, no, you don't need, you're fine. You don't need to do anything else. I said, no, I need to do that. So the next Sunday, as we started on Sunday night, I started by talking about what had happened the week before. And everybody was kind of smiling. They knew it happened. They, they, they were reliving it with me. And I said, I, I, I screwed up there. And then I looked over to Bob, who was right parallel with me, because I was down on the floor of the church at the time. And I asked him to forgive me. And he just kind of nodded like he did. And we just went on with the service. There was a family we interviewed two weeks later who said they were just like this on whether they joined Sailorville or another really good Bible-believing church in our area. And that's what tipped the scales for them because they said, we've been going to church, I think it was like 27 years, and we've never had its pastor publicly, publicly ask for forgiveness for anything. And they said, well, when you did that, we thought, this is the church we're going to. So there was a perk on that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to shift a little bit because you mentioned... Uh, your first marriage. And so you've uh, walked through something that uh, I know others have. And I've, I have uh, friends even from my uh, Bible college days that have had to walk through this or, or a family member within their immediate family where they, they lost them. Um, would you be willing to talk about um, how your first wife passed away and having to navigate ministry as a single dad, which I will... <laughs> my wife just left for five days and I was like, I don't know how I could do this for longer than five days. Uh, and yet you navigated that time. 
if you're willing to tell whatever you're wherever you're willing to take that and talk about with that uh, specific story that and, and you you talk about it in the book as well. Yeah. Well, to answer your question specifically, uh, the death of my first wife was sudden. It was completely unexpected. It wasn't anything we could plan for. We didn't even talk about that very often. We did, we did uh, a little, but not much. Uh, it was just totally shocking. My kids were ages 14 down to one, and he was just weaned from his mom a week. In fact, he started walking a week before she died. So that's seven kids in that age range. And uh, so... But my 14-year-old, who I think you knew, Sarah, yep, uh, she was, um, as, as are many firstborns, beyond her years in maturity. And uh, it, she didn't become a mom overnight, but she did a lot of mom things overnight. So, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I, I look back and I, I, I'm kind of like you. It's like, how did I, how did I pull that off? You know, and, and yet. Uh, you know, I didn't. I mean, God helped me do that. Yeah. He had to do certain things, you know. But my daughter and my son right below uh, him, they were good. They're, they're all good. They're good kids. They managed. They worked together. Uh, you know, we we made do. It was a very hard, hard, hard time. Uh, but, uh, but you know, you, you hear it all the time. You preach it, you know, that this the gr- grace of God will be there. You know, his grace is sufficient. It just, I'm, I'm here to tell you, it is. I mean, it really, really is. And uh, you still go through lots of sorrow. And, but there were great, you know, this is where the scripture, I'm just, just a, Tim, I mean, I can't emphasize enough to your friend and your, your listeners. The word of God is not a textbook. It is the word of God, living and active word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of thoughts, the intentions of the heart. And I say that because on the day that my wife died, on the day she died, within eight hours of her death, I was in Psalm 69. Now, I don't want you to think you just went to work and you sat down and read your Bible. No, I opened up my Bible at the kitchen counter that morning. The kids were still in bed. I was still just still in a state of shock. I said, God, I've got to hear from you. So I was in Psalm 68 the day before. Now I'm in Psalm uh, uh, 69 and there's where it says save me oh god for the waters have come up to my neck i'm weary from crying it was literally describing me and then it says this let not those who hope in you become ashamed because of me mm-hmm. let not those who trust in you become ashamed because of me and tim i literally pulled back from the counter and i said i looked up to heaven and i said lord are are you challenging me in the early moments of my bereavement mm-hmm. Because it was like the Bible says, let not those be ashamed, you know, who hope in you, God, become ashamed because of me. And it was like God was saying, numbers, there's going to be a lot of sympathetic eyes, but those same sympathetic eyes are going to be watchful eyes. They're going to want to see if this grace stuff you've been preaching really works. So that happened within hours of Nina's death. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of days later, Psalm 71, verse 20, which says, you who have shown me great and severe trials will revive me again mm-hmm. and, and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You don't think I took that as God's word to me? Mm-hmm. And so the, the word of God became not just a sanctifier, but a real comforter to me. And the author of scripture, the Holy Spirit, I think was just utilizing that scripture to help me 
and that he'll do that to those who are in those situations as he did for me. Doesn't take away every hardship and every broken moment. Uh, I could tell you stories that are just are heart wrenching of those early days, but God's grace was very evident, very, very real. And coming out of that, God's uh, grace did show up where he uh, brought another woman into your life. How did you, you don't really talk about this in the book, but I am curious if you're willing to talk about it. How did you navigate? Because this is something that Rachel and I have talked about. Like if that were to happen to one of us, like how do you even navigate doing this later in life? Like when you have kids and all, like how do you, and you're already in full time, you're a pastor. So like, how do you date and do that sort of thing? Like how does, how did that God work through that uh, for you? I had all sorts, uh, all sorts of things going against me. I had, I, I was, I was in my upper thirties. I had seven kids, and I was in ministry. I mean, all of these impediments for another woman coming into your life, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, it was just the providence of God, and this is exactly how it happened. Um, two years, three, three years previous to my wife's death. We were at a home school. We were homeschoolers. We raised our kids, taught them in the home. We've been in Christian school and all that stuff. I'm not advocating for any of it, but we were teaching our kids at home then. And um, we're at some homeschool get together. And and we met uh, my wife. She was a widow at the time, just become a widow. But our, our, we had a mutual friend that really talked her up. And so it created interest mm -hmm. in me. I know, I know now that God was doing that, mm -hmm. probably preparing me. I didn't know why I was interested in the woman. I didn't know her from Eve. But my wife and I, Nina, and I met her together while we were at this get-together. And that was the only time we ever met. That was the only time we ever met. And um, three, years, three years later, my wife dies. And true story. Now, remember, I told you about reading Psalm 69 hours after my wife's death. While I was reading it, after I had that dialogue with God, God brought Marilyn into my life, into my mind, rather. I literally thought of that moment from three years earlier. It wasn't a romantic moment. I was broken. I can't even remember thinking, that was weird. And as soon as that happened, Tim, as, I, I mean, I probably sound like a charismatic here, but <laughs> as soon as that happened, the door opens. It's our mutual friend I alluded to. He comes in with groceries, puts the groceries down, give me some, throws money, doesn't know, he hugs me. What People don't know what to do in these moments, but just being there and being loving that. They, and he hugs me and he says, and he, he goes, I'll, I'll get back to you later. He says, and by the way, I told Marilyn Swanson about what happened. I'm telling you, within three minutes of having the thought, this guy walks in the house. I haven't thought about her before or sent, I mean, till then. I mean, it was a God thing. Yeah. So, so then I... Oh, now, remember, this is 1995. This is before email really was kicking in and the Internet wasn't even around. Yeah. Not really. And uh, so I got I got 700 pieces of hard mail. Wow. I got 45 pieces of mail in one day because I was a novelty. I'm 37 years old. I have seven kids and I'm a pastor. Yeah. So they're coming from all around the world. I'm getting stuff and they're just wonderful cards. But I'm also getting cards from divorced women, widowed women. Single women, young women, older women. I mean, and some of them had everything but perfumes sprinkled in them. I'm not kidding you. I mean, it was unbelievable. And uh, I mean, some were like really forward, like, if you need to talk, here's my number. Yeah. And I'm, 
But here's why I tell you that. Because I found, so, 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 uh, my friend said, I told Marilyn about this and she's going to write you a note. That's what she said. That's what he said. And as he walked out the door, remember I had the thought about her. Then three minutes later, he comes in, says, I told Marilyn, she's going to write you a note. That registered with me. I get 700 pieces of mail over two in two months period of time, 45 in one day from all kinds of people. And almost all of them well-intentioned. I don't want to imply that the ones from the women were not well-intentioned. I think they were, you know, I'm just, you know, it wasn't like I was the cat's meow for anybody. So anyway, but, but I found myself wondering and looking for that letter from Marilyn mm-hmm. and I couldn't explain why I couldn't explain why I didn't really know her except for that one meeting and it never came. <laughs> it never came. In fact, so, 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 uh, so about two months later, it was labor day. And we were in a town north of where I pastored and we had a float and I was walking alongside of the truck that was pulling the float. I was a little more than a walking shell. You know, I was trying to keep a stiff upper lip and wave at people. And we had a bunch of kids on the float throwing candy and, and there's lots of people in this little itsy bitsy town. Well, that was the town between where Merrill and my wife today uh, lived and where I pastored and she was in the crowd and she yelled out to my daughter, because she knew my daughter through the homeschooling thing. My friend, our mutual friend, was driving the truck. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, that was Marilyn back there. And I'm, you know, we're walking this way. And I'm looking this way. I, I couldn't stop. We had to keep going. And he goes, hey, did she ever write you that note? And I said, no. And I tell you, Tim, you're asking, I, I, you know, all my answers are preacher responses. I can't give a quick answer, can I? <laughs> I thought to myself, I, I, I can't figure out why I can't why I'm thinking about this. I don't even know her. And now, you know, apparently she was waving my dart. She wasn't waving at me. But the next day I went back to my office and I said, I felt like Boaz. I thought I'm not going to, I'm not going to rest until I figure this thing out. So I found her number. I gave her a call. She answers the phone. My opening line was Marilyn. This is Pat Nimmers, pastor at the Baptist church, you know, down here in Clarin. And our friend told me that you were going to write me an encouragement card and I haven't gotten it yet. That was my opening line. <laughs> so we laughed. She didn't laugh. She's told why and yada. yada. Yeah, that's yeah. How and then we end up going to lunch and uh, shortly thereafter and God just put our hearts together. And as of yesterday, we've been married for 26 years, 10 years longer than I was the first time, 12 years longer than she was the first time. I think yeah. I'll keep her. Yeah. Yeah, she's a good one. I did see that. I saw that on Facebook. Um, and she has three children, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have 10 children together. How many grandkids are you up to? We're up to 37, going on 38. Yeah, yeah. You basically have a birthday a week. <laughs> well, that's not a joke, dude. I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> Do the math. <laughs> I have. Rachel and I keep trying. We're like, how many is that now? <laughs> cool. All right. Um, wh- what chapter of the book uh, stands out to you? Like, I know you probably love them all. You kind of mentioned that even before we started uh, recording and stuff. But what's one chapter that just sticks out to you that I, I want to give you the floor and just talk about it? Well, as we talked previous to this, Tim, I mean, uh, I, I, I literally poured my heart into every one of those chapters. You and, can feel uh, it. You can feel uh, it, and and I, I 
I'm just going to say, I'll probably say it in the intro or outro or whatever, but uh, you need to read this book this year. If you're, if you're hearing this, read this book this year. Okay, go ahead. Well, I mean, for going to the shameless plugs, I was encouraged. You may know this, but Tim Challey's actually put mm-hmm. the book in his top 10 for 2022, which was, I didn't see that coming. That was super encouraging to me. So uh, I gave it a bit of a bump. And I'd love to have your listeners uh, get a hold of it, read it. And if they do read it, uh, to write a, a review on Amazon. Love to get them to write a review. That, that's yeah. helpful to me. It gets other people to read it. You you know all that. So let yeah. me answer your question. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go to the chapter simply titled John. Okay. I have 10 kids, and I only gave one of them a, a, ta- a chapter title. And believe you me, he's, uh, he's merciless, mercilessly attacked by his siblings for this. So, uh, and he's, so John, uh, and I had people after I wrote the book saying, what happened to John? What happened to John? Cause I kind of leave, I purposely leave people hanging on it. So, and that's, I say this as a favorite chapter because I intro the book with John. I, the hook of the book is I pull that in, you know, I, mm-hmm. or I'm out in, uh, out in a conference out in the North, uh, in the Northwest. And uh, this is back in 2010, I think. And, uh, and I, I mean, Sailorville is a, is a church, large church. We have 1,500 people here every Sunday. And, and back in those days, we were probably 800 people and we were planting churches and things were happening. And it was a very exciting place to be. It was an exciting place when you were around it. Oh, church. yeah, it was. But uh, it still is. It still was then. And, and uh, but I was dying a death by a thousand cuts because of John and his older brother, Daniel. There are two youngest, and they were really the bane of our existence for about four or five years. So they just took a hard stage left. Um, they were into everything that kids get into, girls, sex, uh, drugs, uh, drinking, and along with it, a lot of resistance. I mean, they got to a place. That, by the time we went out, when we went out to Oregon, uh, John was just not just uninterested. He was becoming... He was becoming uh, uh, averse to all things Christian. It was really concerning me. They were young. They were still uh, underage. Uh, and they weren't, their actions weren't scandalous yet. <laughs> really close uh, to being scandalous. And I actually wrote, uh, I wrote a, resigna- a letter of resignation. I don't think I put that in the book. I, I actually did. wrote a letter of resignation. So we went out there, our hearts are really heavy, but I had agreed to speak a couple of years earlier. Otherwise I cleared my calendar. I wasn't going anywhere else, but I had agreed to this. So that's where we opened up and shared with the, with these pastors and missionaries and their wives about our situation while I was preaching with them. And man, they opened up to us. It was a really, that was the inspiration for this book. And uh, so, so yeah, so John, John got, it was getting really bad. In fact, he beat up a guy and was up for assault, which is a federal offense. And, uh, and he got his hand slapped pretty hard by the police, which I thought would that do the trick. Two weeks later, he did it again to a different guy. And this time everything came, the, the law came down on him. He, he was arrested. I was there when he was arrested. It was the hardest day of my life. It really was. It was harder than when my wife died. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was hard. My, I, 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 I sincerely mean this. It was because I'm just watching him circle the drain. What's going to happen if he goes into the system? You know, mm-hmm. I knew where my wife was, my first yeah. wife. Did. 
So I was really broken over the whole thing. And he got out after being in a juvenile detention center after for a few weeks that he had to wear the bracelet, all of that, you know, and that kind of, you know, the behavior modification kicks in, you know, <laughs> he's towing the line for a little while, but you know, it is what it is. Human nature, unredeemed, does what it's going to do. Yep. And uh, so he started carousing, staying out late. One night he just didn't come home. And uh, and I, it was Saturday night. I was getting ready to preach, Tim, mm. the next day. And uh, so, and I was typically up till one o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, typically, almost every week. So that was nothing new. But he was supposed to be home by between 10 and 11, I think. 11, 12, 1, 2. I'm calling, I'm texting, he's not answering. And they've been warned, if he got booked, he'd go to big boy jail, he'd go to adult jail. And I was just sick, I was sick. 2.30 in the morning, I go to bed, he's still not home. And I'm laying in bed and I have tears coursing down my eyes. I mean it seriously, I'm in the pillow. My wife doesn't even know what's going on. She's right next to me, she's asleep. I'm, I'm pleading with God, oh God, oh God, save the soul of John, please save him. And Tim, it was like, you talk about a charismatic moment. I didn't see stars or angels or flashes of lights, but I mean, it, I might as well have. It was like God spoke to my heart mm-hmm. and said, you don't trust me, do you? Hmm. And I literally, I literally said to God, no, God, I do trust you. You know, you're, you know, this and that. No, no, you don't trust me. You tell everybody else to trust me, but you're not trusting me. And that was a conviction enough. But then I sensed the Lord say, you, you have made an idol out of the salvation of your son. Mm-hmm. Will you love me more than the soul of your son? I'm telling you, Tim. You just got I'm me. <laughs> I can't think of a harder question that's ever been rendered to me by God in my entire life. Psalm 63.3 was the verse that I had memorized sometime earlier. Your loving kindness is better than life itself. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And I sense God say, will you love me more than the soul of your son? And I repented right then in the the bed. I said, God, I forgive me. I've made an idol out of my son. I will. I'll love you. I'll walk with you regardless of what you do in my life. And regardless of whether you you choose to save John. I mean, we can't save our kids. Only God can, right? Yeah. And I can tell you that God gave me a peace like I got saved that night. I didn't, but I mean, it's like I might as well. I mean, I was at peace. I fell right to sleep. And get this John did not come home that night. And get this as well. It got worse before it got better. Yeah. Uh, but I had something I hadn't had before. I had peace. I was still, was I anxious about him? Yeah. Was I concerned for him? Of course. But I wasn't living on pins and needles anymore. God freed me up. And I found out in that moment, Tim, that that situation with my son, John, was more about me than it was about him. Yeah. And uh, but God really, really gave me peace. And I refused to make my kids or my grandkids an idol. I won't do it. Love them as much as I do. I won't. I won't do it. God help me. I won't do it. And uh, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of conclude the chapter with that. And people ask about it. But uh, it was probably about eight months later out of the blue, as God is, you know, he saved John. John is, John is top three most passionate followers of Jesus I know in this entire world. And he is, uh, he preached at Sarahville Church last weekend. (laughs) He 
He is our new church planter. He'll be planting a church in North Des Moines. Uh, I couldn't be more humbled and grateful at the same time. So that continues to be a favorite story of mine. Yeah. Yeah. You got me. So I have a, my son's seven. He's autistic. And that's been a struggle for me is how much can he understand and uh, trying to walk through this. So you, <laughs> you just got me with that story. Uh, I remember it in the book. It got me when I read it. Uh, I forgot about it until you just did it again. Probably needed that reminder. Um, but yeah. And then with Daniel, I just got to see Daniel uh, at a pastor's conference here in Illinois because he's a church planner in Illinois. Got to give him a I, – I saw him. We, we came out, gave each other a huge hug. And everybody else was like, how do you guys know each other? <laughs> That's pretty funny. So Daniel, is, he's a mini me. He's oh, me. yeah. You can he's see me. it. I mean, yeah. He's wired like I am, and he loves the Lord. And, yeah, you're right. Thanks for bringing him up. He's the other son that I just – he just barely gets an illusion in that chapter. But uh, actually, John credits Daniel, humanly speaking, for his, his salvation. Daniel yeah. actually got right with God before John did. And when John was at a kegger – he, some guy, uh, some uh, a national champion wrestler, he chose to fight. Wrong guy to fight. Yeah. Threw him down. Broke John's shoulder. We talked about two broken shoulders yeah. in this uh, yeah. podcast. John's got it in his sling. He, Daniel picks him up, and Daniel says, what the heck are you doing with your life? That one question changed John. Wow. He, next thing you knew, he was, God saved him. But John, Daniel got right with the Lord first, and now both of them are preachers. What? Only God. Only God. Only God. Absolutely. Uh, you have been so gracious with your time. Uh, is So another focus is just encouraging those that are considering jumping out of ministry. Do you have uh, a verse or, or a story or just a, a line for those that may just be having a bad day, bad season of life? They just need a little bit of encouragement to make it through this season. Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to my mind, Tim, is Scripture. Uh, I think it's in Romans, Romans 12, is it? Or where it says, uh, I, I might have my reference wrong, but the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Mm -hmm. So if God has called you, that's not a revocable thing. And uh, you, I would encourage you to get with the people that would encourage you. Sit with them, cry with them. Um you know, when my son, when I, when my son was arrested and put in jail, that was the lowest time in my life. I told you that. And we were supposed to get with some friends that we'd led to Christ a couple of years or four or five years earlier. And they'd become our best friends. They're our age. We, we started traveling the world with them. And they said, we still want you to come over. So, we, I mean, I couldn't go to the jail and sit with my son. So we went and I just let my hair down and I wept. I mean, I, you know, yeah, you know, as a pastor, you got to put on that. Yeah, I don't mean fake facade, but. Uh, you're leading people, you're leading people and they are looking to you and you're trying to just, you're trying to carry that as well as deal with your things. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. And I have another story to tell, but I'll, that's a different for a different time. But, um, but I found, we found somebody that we could, we could bear our souls to. And uh, if you have somebody like that, go to them. Uh, but, uh, the other one is first Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, my friend, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know, your labor, it's not in vain when it's in the Lord. That's my word to you. All right. 
So I, I will agree with Tim Challey. I actually, when I tell people about your book, I say this is the book you need to read in 2023. And uh, I'm just going to give him a, a quick shout out. But number two for me is Russ Matthews. And he would have been number one until I read your book. <laughs> I was like, because uh, his was really good too. Um, but um, do you have like two or three books that you just regularly recommend to people to read? Uh, you hand out for people to read? Like, do you have a couple there that, that maybe they could go diving into some other books as well? Oh, well, you put me on a spot with that one. You mean besides uh, besides your tractions? Yeah, <laughs> you you have to do that one. Uh, but as they're as they're reading that one and they're like, oh, what else should I read? What What's like two or three? You know, I, I lay out with we have lots of interns. We have interns now. We have interns all the time. We we try to we lay out. I lay out a plethora of books that they should be looking at and reading. And uh, really, depending on it, we, we are talking about guys aspiring to ministry and uh but uh, there's just man, there's so many books that come to my mind. I love, I I, if we're talking about m- books that minister to your soul, mm-hmm. I love Eugene Pearson's books. Um, they minister to my soul. I think his books, along obedience in the same direction, is a book every man should read. Every okay. man. And then the other one is called Run with the Horses, which basically is his loose exposition of Jeremiah. Okay. And these are two great, great books if they're aspiring to ministry. I encourage you to read those books. Oh, man, I've read so many books here just recently. I just finished two of them. So uh, The Air We Breathe, that's a new book, just came out, really good book. Um, okay. uh, and just, I just read it. I, I, don't, I thought I had it here. I got it at home. Uh, Truth Changes Everything uh, by Jeff Myers. That's a okay. really good book. Okay. Uh, and, uh, but, that, but I don't know that'd be the first book I'd have them read, but it's a great book. Okay. And, uh, but there's, man, I'll probably end this podcast. Like, oh, why did I mention this, 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 yeah. and this, but that, ha- that happens. That, that does yeah. happen. Well, Hey, I, Eugene Peterson, that's a good place to go start there. And, uh, I you'll wish start you would, yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I greatly appreciate you, uh, just going through the book, being vulnerable, being willing to talk about your humiliations and the humility that you were willing to have afterwards. I appreciate all of that. Uh, Thank you for your time today, Pat. Thank you, Tim. God bless you. All right. Bye. That was powerful. And I, I think you probably could see the, like my takeaway moment. My takeaway moment was when he was talking about John and I'm going to get emotional even talking about it right now. Um, but how he had to just release his son's salvation to God and, and that God is in control of that. And I have to do it the same in my own life. It got me when I read it in the book, got me in the interview, getting me now, gets me every time that I think about it. I know there's something in that interview that struck a chord with you. Um, use it. Let it be that next factor of what God uses in your life where uh, we get to... We just brothers on because of the grace that God brought us through in our own sins and blunders and failures and everything there. Hope it was encouraging to you, challenging to you, uh, educating to you, and that it equipped you for your ministry. And it maybe even equipped you to just support your pastor and your ministry staff. Uh, I'm trying to do all of that here. So don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, do all the things, uh, write a review. Uh, I'm so thankful for those that have, have done it. Very 
Uh, very grateful for all of you and how you support this uh, podcast. I, I appreciate every single listen. I appreciate every single subs- subscription uh, and follow and review. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. And I look forward to seeing you next time where we will actually have our first overseas individual that we interview. I'm very excited uh, to share that interview with you. So I'll see you in a couple weeks.